When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Stephen Hewson. Well, a myriad of topics on offer this week, from netball to cricket to cycling, how to arrest declining numbers in youth sport, and concussion and the establishment of a brain bank. Well, the Silver Ferns have capped off their already successful year by winning the Lonsdale Cup. World champions were awarded the New Zealand Olympic Committee's most prestigious award in Auckland last night. The Lonsdale Cup's presented annually to the athlete or team that's made the most outstanding contribution to an Olympic or Commonwealth sport. Past winners have included Dame Valerie Adams, Lisa Carrington and Sir Peter Snell. Silver Fern Gina Crampton told sports reporter Bridget Tunnicliffe that being listed among those names is humbling. Yeah, that's really cool. You know, those, um, especially people like Lisa Carrington and, and Valerie Adams, you know, they're um, people that would have been people that we would have looked up to, you know, growing up and things like that. So it's um, it's really exciting to be, you know, on a level that they have been on themselves, yeah. Quite rare for a team to win the Lonsdale Cup. Does it make it more enjoyable sharing these accolades with teammates? Yeah, definitely. I think um, you know we're, we're in a team environment all the time, and and we went through a, a huge, um, I guess, journey in, in the last year with those sort of twelve to fifteen girls. And um, I think it's just great that we can all sort of share it together. And yeah, it's really exciting for um, New Zealand netball as well to be recognised like that. New Zealand Olympic Committee CEO Karen Smith, her words were the Netball World Cup win united the nation and inspired athletes around the country. Is that the feeling you've been getting? Yeah, it actually, it's been a really positive um, reaction. I, I guess, you know, it's always going to be positive when you win, but there was something special about um, the way that we did it and I guess what had happened prior to that and I guess just the um, improvements that we had made um, heading into the World Cup and, and the way that we won, I guess, was just um, yeah very thrilling and I think it was great that the community just really recognised us um, and we definitely felt a lot of love and, and support when we came home, which was so cool to feel. When you took out the World Cup in July, it was 16 years since the Ferns won the last Nebula World Cup. 2003, you would have been about a 12-year-old. Do you remember <laughs> watching the Silver Ferns win that World Cup? I actually don't remember that one. Um, no, I don't. <laughs> but um, definitely heard a lot of stories. And, you know, we had um, a lot of people come in and talk to us from that 2003 um, winning team Um and things like that. So I guess it sort of it really built um, the feel around it that it, it had been that long. And obviously we had girls in our team um, that were there, you know, since that since that win and hadn't hadn't taken anything yet. So um, it made it pretty massive for them for our, our free fossils, which is cool. <laughs> and do you think that the Silver Ferns uh, have the potential now to really um, embark on a period of dominance here and beat Australia on a regular basis? 
yeah, I think that's definitely got to be the aim for us now. Um, obviously, it was a great win, but I think Knowles herself had said, you know, that um, that's probably not enough now. You know, we we need to be able to beat Australia on a on a regular basis and um, and really be competitive again. And I think um, she's building a really good base, and and you know, if she has the right people around for the next couple of years, that hopefully that's what we can do. And you've got the Super Club netball competition starting this Sunday. Um, are you looking forward to this tournament? Because there's a lot more riding on this one than the previous two editions, isn't there? Yeah, I guess it, it, it is a pre-season tournament still. Um, it's great that every single team is there because that's a bit different to um, previous years. And um, as well, we've got a team from Australia and a team from the UK. So, there's, you know, there's really good competition there. It'll be good to get a look at everyone. Um, and, you know, a tournament week's always pretty hard. So, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a good week. And I'm sure the players will be aware that, you know, Nolan Toto, uh, Deb Fuller will be there and they'll be um, select shortly, soon after that, will be selecting their team for the Nations Cup in January. So um, everyone will be wanting to impress. Yes, definitely. I think, um, yeah, Knowles has made it pretty clear that um, she's sort of open to taking anyone. Um, so people are going to have to put their hand up next week. So, yeah, that's, I think that's a really good way to do it, really, that, you know, people have to show that they can um, be on form for more than just one game at a time. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the team that they pick. That's Silver Fern, Gina Crampton, talking to Bridget Tunnicliffe. Having wrapped up a rare Test Series win over England, the New Zealand cricketers now turn their attention to Australia. After a dominant win in the first test at Mount Monganui, the second test ended in a draw. That one was in Hamilton. It was enough, though, to give the Black Caps a 1-0 series win. New Zealand now play a three-test series against Australia, the first test of which is a day-night affair, and that starts in Perth on Thursday. Clay Wilson caught up with Black Caps coach Gary Stead after the second test and asked him just how the test against England set them up for Australia. I think it's only the third time in history that uh, New Zealand has beaten England in a Test Series. And um, whilst it didn't have Test Championship points on it in terms of preparation for what we are looking ahead to with, the, I guess, the Series in Australia coming up, then I think it's really important for us. What did you take out of it that you think is going to be useful for that upcoming I, Series? I think there are a lot of uh, real positive individual performances that, helped the team on the whole and a number of guys scored centuries and put in a lot of time in the middle. We had bowlers who picked up five wicket bags and, and really contributed towards a win and we had some guys get PBs and some, I guess, partnerships that were New Zealand records. Undoubtedly, as you say, a lot of great performances. We've seen Jeet, though, still struggling a little bit. Where are you at with him in terms of Australia you likely to stick beside him, or are you looking at potentially other options in that opening yeah, spot? I think we're likely to stick with with Jeet. I mean, he's he's named in the squad. He's a specialist opener, and it's a, it's the toughest place that there is in uh, in the batting order. And he's he's shown in, in conditions in New Zealand before he can be really successful. He still averages mid thirties, and um, whilst yes, ideally you want everyone scoring more runs and. Jeep more than anyone wants that. But sometimes maybe he's just maybe trying too hard to do it as well. Some talk with his form and perhaps a couple other situations that it may have been better to name the squad for Australia after this series. Is that something that you would have liked to have the luxury of or are you happy that to, to have named the squad right through for both these series? 
we always looked at it as a sort of five test series across this period of time. Uh, first class cricket had all had all finished the Plunkett Shield in, in the New Zealand competition, so there was nothing more for us to actually look at. So we're happy with the decisions that we that we made, and, and look, as I said, it, we're two we're two tests into what we consider to be sort of five a five match series. Obviously, now look to Australia. That first test is going to be a pink ball test. Australia obviously had one in their last test against Pakistan. You guys don't have that luxury. Is that going to be much of a factor, do you think? Uh, I hope not. I mean, we've played uh, a couple of uh, pink ball tests in the past. Um, so not only that, some guys have played it domestically here as well, with probably advantage Australia. They've had some recent experience with uh, with the pink ball, but now our job's to get over there. We have three trainings, two of them are under lights, where we can really get accustomed to it as well. It's always a huge challenge going to play Australia in Australia, but as it stands currently with your own team's form and how Australia are tracking, what are the biggest challenges for you guys in this three-test series? Australia are tracking really well at the moment. I mean, if you look at their, their form, they tame the ashes against against England. They've, they've just comprehensively beaten Pakistan as well. So uh, sort of formidable in, in all areas and, it's hard to find too many chinks in their armour right now. That's Black Caps coach Gary Stead talking to Clay Wilson. The New Zealand track cyclist Campbell Stewart's closing in on his dream to compete at Olympic Games as he takes part in the latest round of the Track Cycling World Cup, which is underway in Cambridge. 500 riders from 44 countries are taking part, or with an eye to doing the best to help qualify for next year's Olympic Games in Tokyo. Stewart won the Omnium World Championship title in March and has been in good recent form, winning the same event at a recent Hong Kong World Cup event. He told our reporter Andrew McRae that he's looking forward to the chance to ride at home in the distinctive World Championship rainbow jersey. Everything seems to be tracking well. I mean, we've got a couple of hard races. There's a lot of competition here, and so it'll be good to be able to match up against them, I guess, before we move into the next phase of, I guess, the main competitions, I guess, and what we've been building up to for a very long time. Where is yeah, the main competition coming from for you? Uh, the Australians, they're definitely pushing the boat out. Gee, uh, Great Britain, you've always got to always got to worry about them. And then I guess there's yeah, there's plenty of other ones like Denmark and um, so yeah, they're they're from all over and they've been coming coming pretty quick. The times are getting faster every competition, and this year's just been on a whole nother level with all the bunch racing speeds, the team pursuit speeds. So I guess we're we're there, and we've just got to make sure that we're we're hopefully going to be in front. <laughs> so you've come back from Hong Kong with you know, only a couple of days turnaround, so that the pressure's on, I guess. How do you sort of approach this, uh, this weekend in terms of training and preparing for the events again so soon yeah. after Hong Kong? Yeah, the travel back was a bit of a harsh one, so I guess it took a bit longer than I thought and took a bit more out of me. So just been taking the last few days really easy. I'm not racing the team pursuit here, so I'm able to have an extra day of rest and just be able to go out on the road and spin the legs over, whereas um, these guys are getting into the team pursuit and if, uh, tomorrow, and um, yeah, they'll be, I guess they'll be ready and they'll be firing, and no doubt. So you taking part in any events over the weekend? Yes, yeah, I'll be riding in the Omnium and the Madison, so Saturday, Sunday, and it'll be, um, yeah, so they've condensed our Omnium into a four-hour session now, so uh, we race four events in four hours, just over four hours, so it means for, it's very demanding on the body and definitely takes a lot out of you. 
I'm guessing you're, you're based in this area, are you? Because this is sort of like the, the main track, isn't it? Yes. So this is your home track. Um, does that give you any advantage over the weekend or extra pressure because home crowd? Yeah, it's definitely an advantage. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if you came last year, but this crowd is just crazy. They, they, you can pretty much feel it pushing you around the track. And training here each day, I get to sleep in my own bed. We come to the track. We go on a track that we're familiar with. I haven't been on it yet since I got back from Hong Kong, but I know exactly what it's like. So it's made the prep for it pretty easy. And I think especially for the Team Pursuit guys, they, they'll be able to um, dial in the lines, the changes, and it should be they should be able to lay down a pretty good performance out there. Campbell Stewart talking to Andrew McRae. An American sports administrator is confident major changes to youth sport in New Zealand will turn around the overwhelming trend of declining playing numbers. In September, several major national sporting bodies announced a significant shift in their approach to youth sport with rugby, netball, cricket, all among a group pledging to move the emphasis away from specialisation and representative teams to placing it more on fun and development. Ice hockey in the US began a similar change 10 years ago. Ken Martell played a major part in that change and he's here to speak to local administrators and coaches on how to integrate the changes here. He told Clay Wilson the change in direction has undoubtedly been the right one. We're having the results that we're having in terms of increased participation, increased retention and an unbelievable throughput to the highest level of our sport. The breadth and depth of the player pool at the elite land for us has grown dramatically. And there's no doubt why that's happened is because we've gone down this path. So we'll get parents that come to us sometimes and say, well, my kid's the best nine-year-old out there. And we kind of almost want to tell the parents, like, oh, I'm sorry. Because in our world, the the best nine-year-old is almost never the best 18- or 19-year-old. Let them have the space to to go and explore and be a kid and be happy with the sports and, and, and try different things. 98% 98% of the players that play at the top level the, in the National Hockey League were multi-sport athletes through a minimum of 14, most a lot longer. Yeah, because that'll be a big thing for parents here. It'll seem to them against the grain, I'm sure, to yeah. a lot of people to say, well, that your kids need to be playing other sports, but you guys have found that playing other sports or doing other recreation activities is actually hugely important to success further down the road. It's, it's imperative. Um, you know, kids only come to our sport, our individual sports, for you know how many days a week, you know, a couple hours. You know, to just to be a healthy, happy human being, you need to be physically active more than that. So they need to go do other things. Um, and again, at the elite level, all of our elite players were multi-sport athletes. So, you know, at some point, you have to kind of take a step back and go, well, the people that are telling me to specialize. That's not how all the elite players turned out. People will, might look at this here and say, uh, different scale, you know, much bigger country, different sport. Would you say that that's going to have any impact on how this might um, work here? I think this will actually be easier to operate in this structure and, and make these changes because you're a great sporting nation. You're nimble enough because of your size to actually affect change maybe even faster than what other countries can do uh, because of their, their size, their geography, and all these, you know. Sometimes our, our strength in terms of population is also our weakness. We've made some small changes that have gone super successful. It's just, this is just the low-hanging fruit here.
And how quickly do you think this can start to really show impact here in New Zealand? So it, it took us a few years to right the ship. I mean, we were bleeding out player numbers. Um, that turned around within a couple of years. But it also then takes time, you know, for a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old to become a pro player. So we're just now really seeing in that youngest player pool kids that have been, you know, influenced by our changes that are turning out at the, the highest end. The, the, the fifth overall draft pick uh, this past year by the National Hockey League was a kid that was in one of our model associations at a young age. And it's interesting because at the draft, his grandfather sent one of our staff a note basically saying, you saved my grandchild. He was going to quit. You brought the fun back to the sport, and he stuck with it. Ken Martell talking to Clay Wilson. Rugby players and boxers are being asked to donate their brains to scientific research. The University of Auckland's launching new research to find out more about the impact of concussion and repeated head knocks in sport on the brain. It's setting up a sports human brain bank that will collect brains from donors who have played contact sports such as rugby, boxing or football. It doesn't matter whether they've had a concussion or a traumatic brain injury. The initiative is being led by neuroscientist Sir Richard Ford, who spoke to Kim Hill on Morning Report. And we look at the history of what that person suffered during life and concussions and so on, and it's not just results from one brain, but then we, by having the brains of different people who have been involved with sports in a different way, who had different sorts of injuries, and, and especially people who have had no reported injury, to compare that. Now, when you put all that together, you start to get real clear evidence so that you can answer the question, which is, you know, people are worried about, you know, concussion during playing sports when you're young, is that going to affect the, uh, my value of life and my old age? And so we will be able to provide evidence and suggestions about that. And we'll, of course, work with the international community um, in the United States and in Australia. So this is not just a New Zealand initiative, but it's actually a global initiative. What are we, we're, we're talking about chronic traumatic encephalopathy, are we? Yeah. yeah, so chronic traumatic encephalopathy is just, this is, chronic means long-term, and trauma means it's a resulted from some trauma, and encephalopathy just means disease of the brain. So we will be looking for evidence of long-term patterns of degeneration which have been in the brain and perhaps the increased over the years. By doing comparative studies between and comparing brains of um, People who have had different exposure and different um, trauma for sport and those who have even reported no trauma, we will be able to provide scientific evidence which will help us to give a better conclusion as to how sport and how trauma um, from concussions can affect the brain. That will inform our neurologists who are looking after people in the concussion clinic and we can start to think about now, is just one concussion, is that bad for you? Do you need multiple concussions? How bad do they have to be? Losing consciousness? All these things. They all go into the big scenario and the human brain it's the most incredibly complicated and the most marvellous organ. And um, the last thing you want to do is play sport and be active and, and have a great heart into your long life and then not know who you are when you're 75 or 80. That's not good. So, no, quite right. Not good. So that's, what, that's really what it's about, Kim, and it's about working as a team. You know, New Zealanders work great as a team. We've got a great team in the Centre for Brain Research. We've got a great 
Neurological Foundation. So, Richard, have you seen a brain that has suffered from multiple concussions? Um, no, we haven't. And we've, we've, got, we've got donors who have actually already enrolled. And so others overseas have seen, seen brains. And they say this evidence, um, Chris, Chris Lewinsky, who's um, the founder of Concussion Legacy in Boston in the United States, they have been going for 10 years looking at brains from concussion, and they have evidence. So we want to see, do we see the same pattern in New Zealand? So there's a accumulating international evidence that there's a strong association which we need now to see whether it applies to the New Zealand population. Have you ever had a concussion? Um, no, I haven't had a concussion, but I've, um, you know, I've had family who have, and it's pretty, you know, it takes the recovery to, to actually get to recover from it, it doesn't just happen immediately. You have to have a rest period. No, quite right. Look, you can have my brain and welcome to it. Kim Hill talking to Sir Richard Fall and the Sports Human Brain Bank will be part of the university's Centre for Brain Research. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Houston. Bye for now. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.